Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. By the way, uh, my friend Scott McCain is listening in Las Vegas, said he would like to nominate himself as the uh, vice president of relations for the Nevada branch of the company, of Query and Company. I'm all about it, right? I'm all for it. Uh, Mike, approval. Mike Ross said, Jake, I'd like to be part of the company. Do you have anybody on janitorial staff yet? Listen, we are a messy group that is fabulous. Mike Ross, director and president of janitorial services of Query and Company. Uh, joining us now on the hotline. He actually doesn't even need one of our fictional company titles because he's been a director of player personnel amongst many other positions in the game of football, including not once but twice a general manager for a National Football League franchise and has been on this show and I thought was fabulous. So wanted to have him back. Randy Mueller joins us back on the program. Randy, first off, thanks for the time. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Good to be back with you. Hey, let's begin with this. And Randy, by the way, with The Athletic now, I should have mentioned that. Um Randy, I'm curious from your perspective now, we, we've had a game, you know, and it's overreaction week, of course, in the NFL, but in Indianapolis, all eyes are on Anthony Richardson, and I think probably as expected, there were some plays that you look at and you go, yeah, I'd like to have that back, but I felt like more than that, there were plays that you thought, okay, that's why he's been handed the keys. We'll begin with Richardson himself of the plays that you saw. What were your overall impressions of what you saw from him and just what glimpses were shown? Well, I think you're right. I think we all saw the glimpses of what we hope he will become. And obviously Shane Steichen knows better than even us what his skill set is currently. That may not be the same skill set three months from now or two years from now. So he's going to do what he can do and and that makes sense i think what you're going to see is a little bit of a paint by numbers offense and it's going to be rpos it's going to be predetermined targets and you're going to see this kid's athleticism probably shine before you know anything really makes sense to him as a pocket passer so i think you're right i think we kind of saw what we expected but i was impressed like you with his size, his athleticism, I thought his poise was good. I don't think the game was too big for him, so there's encouraging signs for sure. When you look, Randy, at just the the development of a quarterback in the National Football League, I'm curious from your perspective, what percent of the the way you go about things are designed to physically grow confidence for the player? And then what percent of it at the same – in other words, allowing him to do things that you know he can do so that he gets the confidence and the comfort level of the NFL and the speed of it. But then also at the same time, having training wheels schematically as to not psychologically interrupt his psyche and get his confidence to the point of no return. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, it's a great question, and and I think that's the balancing act, right? I think you have to look no further than – up north to Chicago and what Justin Fields has, you know, encountered the last two years. They, they've tried to do just that. They've tried to tailor make some things for him to build his confidence after a rookie year that was, you know, uh, debilitating for the most part. So they're trying to rectify his confidence. But at the same time, when you give these quarterbacks 
the things that they do best, you're limiting your offense per se. And as we saw around the league, I don't know if you put any numbers to what we saw this weekend, but average points per game is way down, way down. Probably 23 uh, – true media is a stat group that I use. They had not had this low of a points per game average since 2000 when they start giving these inf- this information out. So I, I reckon that part of it is the development of these young – challenged passing quarterbacks. They're more runners. I think that's part of it. The other thing I think is most around the league, especially these young guys, they're not playing much in preseason, and they need reps. And early in the season, we're going to see a reflection of starters, quarterbacks, not playing a lot in preseason. Randy Miller joins us, host of the Football GM Pod on The Athletic. You mentioned the year 2000, former NFL Executive of the Year back in 2000, a longtime NFL GM Randy, there's parts of the Colts roster where I look it up and down, and I think it's it's a bad roster. And I, I lead into that by saying, during your tenure, were there ever moments where you'd look at your roster and say, we got a lot of work to do here, and how fast is that to, to rebuild, and especially when there's pressure of a young quarterback you'd hope to rebuild in that equation? Yeah, I think it's a great point, and yes, I've had those days, and I remember a a year in Miami where I used to tell our guys, I said, I feel like when I watch us play and practice, remember the old electric football games that we had when we were kids, where it was just a big pile of bodies vibrating all over the electric (laughs) It was the best. Nobody Nobody had any idea what was going on. It was just a little bunch of little things like... (laughs) And nobody ever broke out of the pack. Correct. It was almost like a scrum. And so I've, I've had those teams, and, and it, I didn't sleep much at night. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think the Colts are at that position, but I don't see a lot of explosiveness. And maybe some of that's without JT in the lineup, but there's not a lot of explosive players on the perimeter or, or things that they can do to wide open and, and really stress defenses. So that's a problem, and I, I'm sure Chris Ballard knows it. He watches it every day. Probably be the first thing I would try to fix is try to add more team speed to that group and especially offensively, to, to try to spread the field. The problem is when you're training a young quarterback, um, you've got to play it somewhat close to the vest, but at the same time, the defense doesn't have to play for all these other exotic things either. So you're kind of, when you roll out one way or when you run an RPO or play action, the defense, it, it limits what they have to worry about as well. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Randy, when you look at week one, I, you mentioned it a little bit in just the scoring in general. It, it's kind of a copycat league. Um, I think we know that there there have always been trends sometimes in the way the game is called, um, mm-hmm. particularly in the passing game. I mean, you know that you know when you were first entering the league in the early to mid '80s, quarterbacks were playing in a totally different, almost set of rules than they are now. But yeah. what what things do you see? Like, is Indianapolis almost ahead? I guess with Richardson, if he's who we think he is, because of the fact that we've seen dynamic running quarterbacks and we've seen big arm quarterbacks but very rarely do we see both in one does that make sense is he is he a can he be a transcendent player or is he actually just following trends I don't I don't see the transcendent player at this point I see flashes of talent but my criteria might be a little different. The big arm for me is not really top of the criteria list for me. I've got to have a processor. I've got to have a, a, a different pitch. I've got to have three or four pitches so that when they start hitting my curveball, I got something to fall back on. And I think that's the big change I see in the game. And it's not just the Colts. It's a lot of these teams taking young, inexperienced, 
skill set challenged at times passers of the ball. And and that's that's the big difference. We we don't see the passing game. We see a lot of college RPOs, a lot of simplistic offenses being run now to train these young quarterbacks because we've had it pounded in these teams' heads that they got it's a quarterback driven league, so we gotta get one. So that's that's where they're putting their resources is to find an athletic guy who gives them some movement in the pocket. But you're right. If, if you find a, a, a athletic guy who can process from the pocket, I'm not saying stand there and throw with a big arm, but process, guess what? You, you found John Elway or you found Dan Marino or you found the, the stars of the game forever. They're just hard to find, like you said. Kind of a two-part question, Randy, but with a young quarterback in Anthony Richardson, how many games realistically into the season is it before he has seen every defensive adjustment and junk defense that's thrown at him, you know, where there's not much that he's going to look over the field and be completely thrown for a loop? That starts to happen around when, where he's then comfortable with all the looks that he's seeing. And in addition to that, how many games does Anthony Richardson play before defenses have a very clear understanding from tape of what exactly his tendencies are? I think I'll take it in reverse. I think they know what to expect from Anthony Richardson, and that would be a little fearful for me. They know what he's capable of right now and where his development is. So that's been my point all along. Are there going to be enough pitches available to him to beat defenses who kind of know what's coming? So that's part of it. As far as him understanding and seeing everything, I think that's a year or two away. I don't think you're going to see a lot of exotic things against the Colts because they don't present uh, that as an option as an offense. So it's kind of reverse psychology, but I don't think – I think defenses are going to be very basic, and it's going to take Anthony a while before he sees what's going on, or he's going to have to beat some things before he even sees the adjustments that that the defenses have to make. So I think it's a one- or two-year process for sure before you even gather the information to say, hey, we're headed in the right direction. Randy Mueller joins us, covers all things from the GM's perspective with The Athletic. There was a piece that came out earlier today, Randy, that had highlighted the fact that the fewest pass attempts that featured pass attempts of 15 yards downfield or more since 2006 occurred last season. There were only about 3,500 instances of that a season ago, and that trend, to your point about low scoring, continued to be a factor in week one of the 2023 campaign. Uh, My question with all that data is this. If you are molding a quarterback or trying to find the perfect quarterback in the draft and then build around him, you answered part of this earlier, but defenses are wanting quarterbacks to go through multiple progressions versus sitting looking at a defense and knowing they have a deep shot there, they have a quick slant there. How crucial is that? aspect of quarterback play being able to progress through reads quickly while making the right decision at the same time and how hard is that to develop in a quarterback if they don't have it out of the draft i think it's the number one criteria for me others may have a different criteria but it's the number one criteria for me when judging a quarterback and a skill set it's very hard to find it's very hard to develop and they get better at it yes but it's almost an instinctive nature of timing, of poise, of rhythm. And some of that comes with the offense. And so the offense has to kind of get him to walk before he runs. But I think it's the number one criteria. And I don't know that a lot of people believe the same thing. I think they think they can manufacture quarterbacks nowadays. And that just never was the case in, in, 
in the NFL prior to this. So it's a changing game. We'll see how it works out. Um, you have the other side of the coin with a guy like Jordan Love, who basically has sat for three years. Now looks like he has a really firm grip on processing and what's being asked of him. It'll be interesting to see how his season goes because that's probably another test tube way of, of developing that quarterback. Now, they were lucky they had Aaron Rodgers. Nobody has that for the most part, so that's a little bit unrealistic. But I do think it's a year, a year and a half before a guy that plays right away gets his feet on the floor and actually can get to anything level two or level three at the quarterback position. Randy, if you were to make a list, like two sheets of paper, on one sheet of paper you've got to write down every quarterback in the league that we now that you have seen enough, and I'm talking about the young guys, three years or, or, mm-hmm. or less, let's say. So on the left is the sheet of paper that you go, okay, I've seen enough from these guys. I definitively now know either who they are or who they aren't. I mean, it might be that, you know, you're like, look, I – and then on the right are guys that you still need to see more because you're not completely convinced that you know for a fact whether to write them off or give them the stamp of approval. The the last quarterback on page one and the, the top quarterback on page two, the dividing line is what two guys? That's a great question. You should subscribe to The Athletic. <laughs> I do subscribe to the athletic actually. <laughs> I wrote a column like this, not quite as in depth as you're asking, but I, I picked six players that were kind of in that hit or miss category and kind of evaluated them. But I left the rookies out of it because I think they're in a different developmental phase. But yeah, you're looking at guys like Desmond Ritter, like Justin, uh, uh, Justin Fields, even Mac Jones, who's played a lot. I think I I need to see more of these guys and really, it's a, it's a level of, of advancement. It's, it's like any of us at our jobs. We're, we might be okay at it year one. We should be a little better year two. We should be pretty darn good year three. But you got to kind of track it to follow the progress these guys are making. And a lot of times it's not necessarily their fault that they're not because the team around them isn't as good or you just have bad things happen because of the system not being a fit. It's a moving target. I don't know that you can definitively define who is above the line and who's below the line. It's, it's a hard one. I think probably the middle of the road guys, and I and I'm going to say that the and this isn't really definitive, but a Kirk Cousins is probably viewed by most as 12, 13 in the league when it comes to value. Where is he fit? Uh, and and if you're above him, you're probably good enough to win with, and not because you know, and probably because of not in spite of. That's probably the question: is can we win with these guys, or do, or can they make everybody better around them? So in the AFC South, obviously the one team that has the established – well, I mean, Tennessee is still kind of feeling its way through that transition from veteran into young player. But Trevor Lawrence, have you officially now given him his driver's license and he's no longer driving with a permit? 100%. He's graduated. He, he's second level, third level. <laughs> yeah, he uh, – I like he's graduated. It's a good way yeah, of saying it. Randy, here, here's the burning question for you, Randy Mueller of The Athletic. We were talking about – clothes in your closet that you just can't throw out right that like your wife is like listen this has got to go and you're like no 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 it has special meaning to me now i'm always fascinated by this you would have theoretically accumulated sweatshirts t-shirts shorts whatever from the seahawks (laughs) saints dolphins and chargers one of one of those franchises i think has the best logoing and color scheme in the national football league and if i had access to freebies from there i would be taking trunks home now, which of those teams is in your closet that you're like, I, I can't part with it? Well, it's not the Chargers stuff, so I hate to disappoint you. But 
I'm a, I'm a Northwest guy. I'm a Seattle guy. I'm, I'm born and raised in Idaho and lived in Washington, Oregon. And so my Seahawks stuff, I'm still a Seahawks fan. So I have stuff from the eighties, uh, Seahawks stuff. I, I always made it a, a thing when I left a franchise, I would bag most of the stuff up and take it to a closing place, uh, for, for, uh, you know, Habitat for Humanity. Sure, sure. And it was awesome to see. So I don't have a lot of stuff. You'd be shocked at, at 35 years in the league how little NFL gear I have. Randy, I totally believe that because in working and racing, the same thing, right? I mean, we get sponsor changes and you got to take a lot of yep. stuff to charity. But without question, in my opinion, and this is going to show my age, without question, the greatest color scheme and nostalgic nature of just – cool awesome helmet and logo is the steve largent jim zorn era kurt <laughs> warner era of the seattle seahawks baby i love it i love that seahawk so uh big You're thumbs be up happy there because it's coming back this year for a game or two oh i know being in seattle the seattle people are eating it up it's the greatest thing ever all i know about the pacific northwest i love it randy i think it's gorgeous i was just there i also know in idaho um you want to put a sign on the border that lets the californians know we're out of space thanks <laughs> We appreciate the interest, right? You got it pegged, man. We're all filled up. Randy, I appreciate the time as always. In our fictional company of Quarian Company, I've decided typically you would just simply be, obviously, director of football programming here for our show. But I also think because you're my favorite guest, I'm going to make you, you are fictionally our director of guest relations. Is that cool? I like it. I All love right. the people part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Randy, uh, enjoy the rest of week number two getting set for it here in the NFL. Appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Anytime. All right. Randy Mueller again from the Athletic. Joining us on the program. Good stuff. I- I'm telling you, those. if I had the Seahawks stuff, Jimmy, I- maybe tomorrow I'll wear my TV New Zealand shirt and my Seahawks hat. I got combo. Two- I've got an awesome Seahawks. What color is the New Zealand shirt, by the way? Well, interesting question. The in New Zealand, the sport, the sport is rugby. Soccer's big. My buddy that from high school that now lives in New Zealand is a, has become his kids love soccer, but rugby is a big deal. And the national rugby team of New Zealand is called the All Blacks because their uniforms are all black. And the basketball team which was here for the 2002 World Championship. It's either 02 or 2000. I think it was 02. Uh, that team is called the Tall Blacks because it is kind of an offshoot of the national team of the rugby, which is the, the kind of the original beloved national right. team in New Zealand. So all of the gear in covering said team is it's themed around the team itself. So because I was covering that team, the shirt they sent me, it's a golf shirt with – it almost looks like a Hawaiian shirt, but it's all it's black. Okay. But the accentuation of it is white and it just says T V N Z and then the sleeves have like kind of an Aboriginal print. And I don't think it says anything about the tall blacks on it. It's actually pretty cool, to be honest with you. But if you wore it, you know, people would just be like, what is that? Like what brand is that? Then yeah, wear it tomorrow. Okay, now what about my I have two fabulous hats. And I'm not like a – I guess I'm kind of a Seahawks fan, admittedly. I guess I'll just say it. Like, nostalgically, I just am. They they just were cool when I was a kid. But I have a blue – a royal blue Seahawks hat that has the old Seahawk on it. That's all that's on it. And then I have – did you have a snow hat when you were a kid with the little ball on top? Yep. What team? Chiefs? Chiefs. Yeah. I still do. So does it have – so the, it's got the, the little ball on top. Yep. And then, like, on the forehead, it's got – 
probably a patch, right? Yep. Does it have the logo or does it have the helmet? Logo. Okay. Sam, the one as a kid, I think, had the helmet, but the one that I yeah, have today yeah, yeah. is the logo. Okay. Sam, do you have one? Don't tell Mark, but I do have a Green Bay Packers hat, yes. And does it have the, the helmet or the logo on the, the little patch? Logo. Okay. So, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I was bored. I'm surfing around shopping on stuff for the NFL, and they had an old it's, – it's not old school, but it's made to look old school. Seahawks hat, like a snow hat. Oh, nice. So I have a winter hat that has like the little green and blue ball on top, and it's got the Seahawk logo, just the logo itself. I just think it's a cool logo. That's a really cool logo. I'm, I'm a big fan. My friends get mad at me all the time if we ever play in Madden. I love to tinker with the uniforms for like an excessive amount of time because oh, yeah. I like good combinations or I like to bring out some throwback unis. So if, okay. I'm right there with you. If you, were, if you were awarded an NFL franchise... It's one of my favorite questions. If you were awarded an NFL franchise, <laughs> but you have to put it in a city that has never before had an NFL franchise, what city are you going with? What's your nickname and what's your color scheme? Man. I mean, Austin, Texas is kind of the obvious here, except for that everybody in Austin either A, isn't from there, or B, if they are, they're already like a Cowboys fan. Kind of the same. San Antonio, by the way, I can tell you with 100% confidence, the city of San Antonio was going to get the New Orleans Saints, and they were the Saints were on their way to become the San Antonio Saints and play in the Alamo Dome, and then Katrina hit, and for the just kind of uh, the obvious emotional reasons, the NFL, you know, they just they couldn't move, so they stayed. They ended up staying in New Orleans. So Katrina actually, oddly enough, for all of the devastation that took place with that Hurricane Katrina, actually saved the city of New Orleans from losing an NFL franchise. Um, yes, sir. Sam Fritz. I just, I felt as though I had a good answer for this question. Uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. It does, New Mexico, as far as I know, doesn't have any professional sports. You're teams. correct. Uh, and Jersey style, go with the state flag, uh, a good bright yellow flag. with a burnt red. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. And Accent. What's the name of your team? Uh, give me an extra second. Okay. Albuquerque is not a bad one. That's the good. The Albuquerque turkeys. Oh, boy. You were doing well until that. Although the color, you know what? In all honesty, the colors of the New Mexico like state flag kind of looks like the the back feather area of a turkey. But and also, the, the colors have a very Thanksgiving-type style. Well, that's the other thing. is what, what happens if you're the turkeys? You can't play on Thanksgiving, right? I think that I think that guarantees <laughs> automatic a L though, you right? You're gonna get slaughtered on Thanksgiving. Cowboys it's are a, gonna roll. It's up. a very easy like that's a, that's a really easy headline right there. You're in trouble. I've always wondered. Do you think there's ever been discussion about putting a professional sports league team in Honolulu? I mean, it's the size. It's bigger than Green yeah. Bay. It's bigger than you know. It's it's a decent sized city, but the travel. Which, if we're talking about putting teams in London, or we're talking about putting teams in Germany eventually, then you can't say that the travel is the reason there's no team in Honolulu. You got the Pro Bowl there that's no longer there anymore, but you got a stadium. It's kind of archaic. I've been in it, but you know, I'd be here for it. Whenever I, think, I would relocate teams, I would always move to smaller, obscure. Like, I would love to have a team in, like, I don't know, Rhode Island, for example. Like, or just like, like bigger city, the, but the smaller, problem, smaller though, areas. Jimmy, and I know you got with, conflicting markets. I know. See, the problem with Rhode Island, yeah, exactly, is it's, I mean, like, if you go to a Patriots Delaware. game, you fly into Providence because it's right there. Right, right. I mean, Foxborough's like, literally, from Foxborough, I, I get your point, but people don't realize the New England play just playing the New England Patriots play in Foxborough. It's got that whole Northeast. It, it, it's literally like if if Indy is since 
if Cincinnati is Providence and Indy is Boston, Foxborough's Batesville. Like it's like literally halfway yeah. between the two. I think I would go by the way with Birmingham, Alabama, because it's a cool city. There's a lot of banking and money there, and it's obviously a passionate football town. The challenge you're going to have, kind of like the Pacers here, is it's primarily a college football town, right? But I do like, like Tampa Bay Bandits. Bandits has already been used, but I think I'd go with the the Birmingham Bandits. I like it. And I would be black and red. Did you come up with one? Not really, no. Okay. Well, thanks for participating. I know. I'm sorry. It's always fun. We'll get uh, back I, to Colt's conversation and we'll do it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. He's the president of the company. Sam Fritz is filling in for our now on shaky ground CEO, Eddie Garrison, who got the title and then immediately went to our non-existent HR department and put in a time off request. We might have just almost had a legal suit brought our way though yes. by the interim ceo so sam all kinds of turmoil sam seems to not understand that as a freelance employee of the company that any ideas that are presented by the company are the intellectual property of the company but itself. he is part of the company so they are still his He's, ideas but well, they're shared I'm, amongst the company i'm I, part of the company here but when i say the dulcet things that i do on the radio it's not like i own them right? <laughs> i just have to lock down my position with the team the last caller said that he wanted to support the team on behalf of behalf of the company but it was you know my intellectual property but are you hey. part of the company, or are you just? I, I don't think, think I've been I handed. I think we're an all official... using the word intellectual a little too liberally. <laughs> uh, joining us now on the hotline, he is actually the chief shareholder of Quarian Company because he's Stephen Holder from ESPN.com to talk about the Colts. And I've been saying all day we're going to talk about the Colts, and then we get sidetracked. I know that's a shocker. Um, Stephen, I'll begin with this: Are we going to see in Week Two? Any sort is the running game going to look any differently for Indianapolis in a combination of personnel and the way that Shane Steichen tries to get things uncorked to get some relief behind Anthony Richardson? Well, I, I was going to say before I contribute to the program, I felt like I needed to to find out how my shares were performing <laughs> to see whether this. I, I just want to know if this whole endeavor is paying off for me, but. Well, that's okay. We we can do that later. Uh, as of um, now, as of now, the shares are still unlisted. So okay, we're it's a it's a guessing game. I got it. I got yeah, it. Yeah, that's what we do here. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, um, I I don't know that the running game is going to look a lot different. I, I think I think the uh, excuse the uh, the scratchy voice by the way. Um, I, I think the question is, does Anthony Richardson run the ball either more? or in terms of frequency or more effectively. And, and if he does, you know, what impact does that have in, in a trickle down manner to the rest of the running game? Uh, because right now their, their traditional running game 
is is pretty poor, and and they're they're in bad shape. They're in bad shape there, and and I've got to tell you, there there are ramifications of that. And you notice the Colts didn't take really a lot of downfield shots in that game. I mean, Anthony Richardson, I think, was 26th this week in week one in, in terms of air yards, you know, which means the amount of distance the ball is traveling in the air. And it's not a knock on Anthony Richardson. It's more of a reality, and that reality is that uh, the Jaguars are playing two deep safeties, and, and that's a coverage I think they're going to continue to see until they can force teams to bring a safety down into the box and address the run game. And right now, they're more than happy to defend the running game with the front seven. And, and more than half, they can more than handle it right now with that front seven. So there's no need right now for, for teams to get out of that. And until they, they can, you know, kind of entice teams to get out of that two-safety alignment, it's going to be hard for Anthony Richardson to take those shots without taking some risk. I still think they should take some shots, but they're, they're going to discourage you from doing that. How much does Zach Moss's return to the fold, or at least perceived return to the fold, as I believe there were reports out that he was out there today for practice, how much does that potential return change things and if it does nothing to move where their running numbers were I mean it's hard to not improve off of week one's running back department running numbers if they aren't improved what is the next course of action is there then increased pressure to go sign a veteran well I I don't think it moves the needle a ton with Zach Moss coming back um I I think it helps a little a little does does it make a wholesale difference is it going to be obvious? I, I don't anticipate that. I mean, I think he, I think he's a better option, certainly. But if you think about, you know, when Zach Moss was in Buffalo, uh, they, they were very reluctant to run the football when he was their number one running back. I mean, they just were. It's just a fact. And, and, and they weren't really moving the ball on the ground at that point. I mean, they still aren't, but <laughs> they – they moved him trying to you know, find someone who could help them do that with Naeem Hines. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to make a, a huge difference. Uh, he, he hasn't played in a long time. You know, he, he missed the whole preseason. Is he in shape? All of those things are, are questions that, that still remain. And so I guess we'll see. We'll see. But, I, I, you know, as for anticipating a massive upgrade with Zach Moss returning, no, I, I don't anticipate that. Steven, uh, let's begin with this, actually, or not begin with, but I probably should have began with this. Just from a health standpoint, I thought Indianapolis you know, got out of week one fairly unscathed by NFL purposes you know, or, or standards. I mean, obviously, we've seen devastating injuries around the league. Um, anything creep up or pop up that we did not anticipate on the injury list so far this week? Well, we'll see what the injury list actually looks like when we get it later today. Uh, I did just come from practice, and and I noticed uh, Quentin Nelson was not dressed. I believe Braden Smith was not either. So, do I think they have severe injuries? No, uh, but you know, are they 100 percent? No, clearly not. So we'll see. Uh, they, they certainly can't afford to lose either one of those guys. It, it could be precautionary. Uh, let's see what the injury report says today when it comes out, uh, probably in another hour or two. 
Uh, but, but those are two names that I, I will be watching for when the inter- injury report comes out. How would you grade, Stephen? I think we know now that this guy is going to be a pillar, but uh, one week does not a season make, nor a career. But how would you grade the performance and just the continued growth of Bernard Ryman? Um, I, I think it's <clears throat> excuse me definitely acceptable an acceptable level of play. Um, I see growth. I would say that at the rate he's grown over the past year, I think he's on the right trajectory. Now, it's going to get tougher. Okay. Now, you know they're going to see players like Miles Garrett later this year. You know, and how does that go? Um, do we see the continued growth against matchups like that? Uh, Will Anderson in Houston apparently got off to a good start last week. I didn't see uh, the Texans play, but but certainly he is a, a very athletic and 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 relentless pass rusher. So you know, it just it really at left tackle, it really boils down to, you know, just consistency and and not really ever uh, letting up because you don't get a break. You just don't. You do not get a break. And the, the matchups are tough just about every week. And so you also can't have a bad snap because that's the, the league is such that at that position, if you if you have you know, a bad snap and, and you get you get off the ball late, your quarterback's now laying on the ground horizontally, you know, because that's just those are those are the stakes. So there's no room for there's no margin for error and and the expectations are, are only gonna get higher because the competition is gonna get stiffer. So but but all that being said, uh, I think Bernard Raymond is doing what's been asked of him and, and is working at it and definitely looks more comfortable. Stephen Holder, our guest, covers the Colts for ESPN.com. Stephen, is there a avenue for Kylan Granson to lock up either a majority of, kind of like he did from a target share standpoint, of the targets in the tight end room? I don't want to go as far as say as a tight end one, but we've seen how reliable tight ends can be in Shane Steichen offensive looks and the conversation all offseason is, look at all these tight ends. Who's going to emerge as a tight end one? Is that path there for Kylan Granson to seize? Well, he, he's doing his part to, to get there. I, he has made, I think, a, a pretty big jump. And I, I do think that he's, he's working at his blocking, which is really going to be a big part of this. Because if you're going to play more snaps, some of those snaps, frankly, no matter what, you, you're going to be asked to block. And so if he, if he can consistently do that, then they are more comfortable putting you on the field. That's just what it is. And, and, and more comfortable, you know, keeping you out there uh, when, when the situation calls for maybe you to not get the ball. So I think it's all positive right now with Kylie Granson. And, and, I, and I, would, I would love to see that happen. I, I think the Colts would love to see that happen, you know, for him to, to, to show that he has that kind of capacity to be that kind of, of tight end for them. Because, honestly, I do think they have to get a lot out of that position. They're, they're limited at wide receiver, and we know that from a personnel standpoint. And so they have created a situation where uh, there's going to be expectations of their tight ends because they feel like there's more upside at that position. So now they have to actually show performance. It's not about 
you know, promise or, or upside or any of those things, at some point you have to actually perform. So there's really not any choice just given, you know, I think how limited they are right now at wide receiver. They got to get a lot out of that position. I also would say Jelani Woods, when he comes back, now he has to stay healthy. He's been banged up a lot. Uh, he, he, he could potentially return in a couple weeks, but he has to, when he gets back on the field, he has to stay healthy and he has to be the player they hope he can be because they're counting on him being, I think, one of those matchup problems as well. Stephen, I had mentioned earlier, Stephen Holder's our guest. He's with ESPN.com, of course, and ESPN. Um, Shane Steichen was obviously hired in when they knew they were drafting Anthony Richardson. Shane Steichen's chief responsibility probably is to come up with ways to take pressure off Anthony Richardson. But when you look at Anthony Richardson as a young, just-starting quarterback, in fact, in analyzing the games, is Anthony Richardson actually taking pressure off Shane Steichen? Should we be analyzing more the coaching decisions that were made? I see. Yeah, so I actually think that it was there, – there were some, some interesting decisions uh, by Shane Steichen. I did think he got a little bit vanilla in the second half and, and certainly was not aggressive. Now, what we, what we don't know, and this is what makes these evaluations hard, we don't know how much of what they did or did not do was a product of, of Shane Steichen's dictating it or, or Anthony Richardson and making decisions in the heat of the moment, right? So I just mentioned, for example – that they didn't make much of an attempt to stretch the field. They just did it. And I think you, you've got to take a shot or two. I mean, frankly, the, the, they, didn't, they didn't punt the ball very well on Sunday. So let's say you've got a 40-yard a, a shot down the field and it gets intercepted. Well, I mean, that's just as good as a 35-yard punt, which is about what they were getting at times. I don't know what was going on with that, which is a whole other conversation. The point is, they're low percentage plays, but but the payoff is big. <clears throat> Excuse me, and and you've got Alec Pierce, who I mean, if he's not there for that, then what's he there for, right? So, I think you got to take some of those, and and so I would like to know. We're not going to get a straight answer, and Shane is just not going to do that. <laughs> That's okay, but I would like to know. It would be, it would be great to know were those lack of of you know downfield throws a product of the play calling or Shane Steichen being conservative. But if I, if I had any, any issue, that, that's where my issue was. I thought there was a lot of creativity in the first half, particularly late first quarter, early second quarter. You saw Anthony Richardson get into a groove, and a lot of that I think was dictated by some of the creative formations and play calling you saw from Shane Steichen. I didn't see nearly as much of that in the second half, but they also didn't have the ball nearly as much. Stephen, many moons ago, I worked at a cigar store here in Indy. My favorite customer was Reverend Fitzhugh Lyons, who was a reverend at Galilee Baptist Church over on the near east side. Loved the reverend, uh, the late reverend. He was the best. And I had a, a head cold one time. I was all stopped up, and I was a little, you know, my, I was coughing a little bit. My throat was scratchy. You know, I sounded a little hoarse. And so I asked the reverend, I said, hey, reverend, you know, you've got obviously a, a fast line upstairs. What, what can be done here to make me get better? <laughs> and he gave me very sage advice that I'm going to pass along to you. But so um, do you want to guess what it was that he said was the instant 
the instant cure for what was ailing me that sounds like you might be a little under the weather yourself? Uh, well, I mean, I, it, it probably wasn't to uh, smoke a joint, but um, that would have been hilarious. But, <laughs> it was not that. That is correct. Uh, that was that was go home and enjoy a half a glass of the finest bourbon or whiskey in the house. I, I'm oh. thinking. I'm thinking you're good with the Reverend's advice, right? You know what? I'm liking them more and more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Hey, when they say take, when they say uh, take two of these and call me in the morning, uh, maybe that's what they meant. That's right. <laughs> you know, get yourself an old fashioned or just a straight, straight Jack on the rocks, and you're good to go, man. You're good to go. Um, Look, let's let's do it. Listen, aside from the running game, which was obvious, aside from you know maybe even like schematically just protecting Richardson on, on runs. What is the little area where Shane Steichen and the Colts look at it after week one and decide that they need a shot of whiskey because it, they just were a little under the weather more than people thought? Uh, you know, I, I I just think they need some dynamic play from their skill position players in general. Their, their, their skill players, I mean, Michael Pittman, all the credit in the world, he made a fantastic play on that receiver, bubble screen, whatever you want to call it, and you know, I, I probably the fastest I've ever seen him run. He actually took a little bit of umbrage after the game. He said, "You know, you guys always say I'm not fast, <laughs> which we probably do." So <laughs> that was fair. Um, so I, I love that. But you watched that play, and did you feel that type of explosiveness at any other point in the game? I didn't. You know, and so maybe a time or two from Anthony Richardson. You know, but but obviously he can't do that on every other play. So just you know, for for the preservation purposes. So I just think there's it just seems to be this lack of of dynamic or what's the word dynamism? Dynamism? I don't know. I'm, I'm making words up. I don't know. I'm not I'm not that sick. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, <laughs> that's just. I'm trying to think of what the what the word would be. Dynamo, yeah, not dynamo. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to have to get the thesaurus when I get home. But, um, you know, look, I, I, I do think that there just seemed to be, you know, just a, a little bit – there's a lack of that. And, and just – I think when you look at the elite teams in the NFL, I'm not suggesting you can go find that in the middle of, of a season. But, you know, you, if you were asking, you know, if you needed a shot of juice somewhere – I think that's exactly what they need. <laughs> they need a shot of juice, a shot in the arm. You know, this. who is the defense worried about? Who Who is the matchup the defense is worried about and keeping them up at night? And I think if you ask yourself that question as a Colts fan, I don't think you're going to love the answer, frankly. The degree to which a process adapts to changing data or requirements is known as dynamicism. See? I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Listen, I, I don't know if I could pronounce it. Steven, I, 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 I got news for you, okay? Kids from Central Florida and Florida State ain't coming up with dynamicism. But you get that private education from University of Miami, and guess what, <laughs> right? That's how it works, Let right? Me Let me tell you. I, I think it costs like $68,000 a year to go there now, all in. And let me tell you, they don't, they don't charge that for nothing, okay, buddy? Okay? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what you get out of it, right? That's right. I'm That's looking right. up. I'm looking up Miami cost of attendance right now. I, I think you're under. 
I think you're under. No, I think so, too. I think so, too. Yeah, um, I've got a friend, a good friend, who was my neighbor growing up. Uh, she actually went to school there as well. And we were we were talking, her daughter's, you know, looking at colleges. And the husband is a big Florida State fan. So she's – and they have a relative who works there. So they're thinking – she's thinking Florida State. And, and mom's like, oh, my God, I don't know if I could do it. But then she looked at the tuition at Miami, and she's like, you know what, I'm fine. So, okay, now I think Florida State it is. Florida State it is. Are we going undergraduate on campus or undergraduate off campus? Cost of attendance for the University of Miami, according to their website, Stephen. Which one do you want to go with? Oh, I mean, listen. I lived on campus for a year because my parents were like, "Yeah, this ain't happening." Right. I mean, I, I wasn't. I wasn't paying. They, my parents were not paying tuition. I, I would never have gone there. I would have gone to like community college if it was up to my parents paying because. It just we didn't have it right but um you know just in terms of like trying to keep the cost in check so that i could actually like live and then make sure that my financial aid and scholarship covered the cost uh, yeah i moved off campus after a year because it was like all right i'm gonna have my loans are gonna get crazy all that so um yeah for me it was off campus so okay. i don't know but, but undergraduate off campus just for kicks on campus just for kicks well, the difference is negligible, to be honest with you. It's a $900 difference between the two. The undergraduate on-campus cost for the University of Miami, according to their official website, all all costs in. Jimmy, you want to guess? One year. One year? Yes, for one year. 35000 Oh, no. That was when I when I was in school. It was like 30, 34 or something. Sam like Fritz, that. you got to guess? I'm just because of the reaction that we just got. I'll bump it up to a fifty-five thousand. I'm going to modify and say eighty-two. Tuition, fees, food and housing, books, personal transportation, and loan fees: eighty-eight thousand four hundred and forty dollars per year. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, eighty-eight thousand well, four hundred forty. Now, if you want to go off campus and be the cool guy like Stephen Holder, and then eighty-nine thousand three hundred and six dollars a year. However, however, living with a parent. Problem being that Stephen's parents had zero interest in him living with them. But if they did, $76,142. Oh, let me be clear. I lived with my parents. And and let me tell you, there's nothing worse than living on campus and then moving off campus back to your parents' house. You, <laughs> feel, yeah. you, feel I, you like need to be home by 12, have, Stephen. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I'm, I'm like, I went from no rules to I'm back in my parents' house. <laughs> totally. Son, if you're going to live in like, this house I'm under these rules. <laughs> I, I hear you, man. That cost I, does include a meet and greet with Sebastian, though. So at least you got right. that going for that's you. That's right. I mean, yeah, that, that'd be cool, right? Get a couple of pictures, right? Um, Listen, here's the, here's the big question. How long will it take you after graduation to make $88,000 a year? I mean, that's. I, I don't know that answer. But well, and that's for a year. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, so you're looking at 352 by the time you're all said and done. Uh, Steven, oh against God. against Houston, this is – I guess if there's some interest about this game, it's the fact that you've got C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson. Uh, have you gotten yeah. a chance at all to, to get – kind of just get an overview or a buzz on C.J. Stroud's performance in week one and, uh, you know, how Houston may in similar or differing fashion be handling a young quarterback? Not a ton. I, I didn't get a chance to watch his tape, but but I, but I think what you're looking at with uh, with, with C.J. Stroud is um, he's a, they're a much different type of player. So uh, he's going to be a guy who's delivering the football and and getting the ball out. I think with the Colts, 
their offense is much more centered around Anthony Richardson because uh, his his uniqueness and the unique nature of his game is a bigger part of what they do, if that makes sense. So, you know, with the Texans, it, it's much more largely dependent on, like, okay, who's playing wide receiver and what are the routes and all of those things. They still matter, obviously, a lot with Anthony Richardson, but, but there's that other element here, which is, Let's move him around. Let's run him. Let's, you know, create those other elements that are based off of, of, of the quarterback's movement. And, and those are not things you're going to do with C.J. Stroud. I mean, he's just really, from an athletic perspective, he's just not the same guy. He's not even in the same area code, obviously. So, so I think that's where they're different. Um, but he's also going to take fewer hits, at least out of, outside of the pocket. So there's that. Defensively, Stephen, I thought the Colts looked good for most of that game against Jacksonville, and I'm willing to chalk it up to, well, look how much time they had to play versus look at the offense they were playing. It's a competent, nice, balanced offense that Doug Peterson has cooking there. If they, the Colts have a lead in this game and they have another second-half collapse, are we in the territory of maybe this is the same as the back end of last year and maybe this defense isn't a complete unit, they're just fine? Are we in that territory yet? Not, not yet, but I, I do think if it happens again, sure, th- that question will be reasonable. What I would say is that I think a couple things. Number one, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, my God, like we got to start respecting this guy. Okay. And I think people yeah. do. So, yep. Stephen, I, listen, I try not to be a homer. I try to be objective. Yeah. Admittedly, I'm a, as you know, I mean, I'm a huge Clemson football fan. I watched him play like every snap of his college career, yeah. and I was telling people, I'm like, he has Peyton Manning tendencies, and people are like, you're just you're biased. I remember when he was coming oh. out, there was a guy on the old radio show that I did that bet with me that Jacob Eason would have a better pro career than Trevor Lawrence, who was overrated. And I'm Ooh. like, dude, I'm telling oh, you, wow. like, like he, the fact that he survived the Urban Meyer disaster and the joke yeah. of the rookie year that he was thrown into and still has competence. But, you, Stephen, I'm not saying you personally, so you just as euphemism. You finally saw yeah. it, right? In that game, you saw exactly why people who've watched this guy a lot said to themselves, he has an it factor. Yeah. So there's a I, – I don't have it in front of me, and I'm going to botch this, but there's apparently um, a, a metric on next-gen stats that basically – measures like the most difficult throws like how how a quarterback performed on on the most difficult throws and trevor lawrence in week one was by far number one and i forget what it's called i, I know that's i'm giving it a very unofficial name here <laughs> but but that's basically it in layman's terms trevor lawrence was number one and if you look at the throws i mean like the touchdown to zay jones first off okay like we talked about zay jones catch that throw is freaking ridiculous. There's another throw where he's rolling to his left, and I forget, I think he hits Calvin Ridley. He's rolling to his left. He throws across his body 30 yards down the field. I have no idea how. And the throw is incredibly accurate. I mean, it's just – so my point to you is that, like, they got pressure on him. Uh, they drove him out of the pocket. The Colts did – you know, all the things that you want to do against a quarterback. You made him uncomfortable, get him off the spot, all the things that coaches 
give you those those cliches they give you in the press conference. You know, we got to get him off the spot. We got to got to get consistent pressure on. And they did all that. And then you know what he did? He just ripped the ball down the field and said, "All right, now what?" <laughs> so like Trevor Lawrence is the real deal. So that's that's the first thing. And then um, I, I thought the coverage, I thought the coverage held up. It was it was fine. I I had doubts because I mean you know you're starting guys at corner, frankly that no one's ever heard of. Okay, it, it's it's a real thing. I I understand those doubts. So that really wasn't ultimately their problem. I just think really it's a matter of limiting the big plays, which they generally did, but but there were a couple that they they'd like to have back. If you do that, I, I think it's a different game. So they're not that far away, the Colts on defense. But a lot of it was Trevor Lawrence, and then some of it is just you know they just got to tighten up on a couple of plays here. He's Stephen Holder, covers the Colts for ESPN.com. Stephen, looking forward to talking with you next week. Enjoy the weekend. And last thing for you, um, as president of Query and Company, president of the company, I can safely tell you we're aiming for quarter two of 2024 for some idea of where your shares are at, I think. So that's when we hit profitability. Gotcha. Okay. We're aiming for it. That's what we're hoping for, right? Around Around the time when we're having a whiskey and a pacer game steven we'll be able to then officially give you a report <laughs> okay i love it i love it hope thanks, you feel guys. better man appreciate the time thanks steven all right see you all right steven holder on the program by the way uh speaking of sports in indianapolis big event coming up this weekend indianapolis motor speedway it is in fact the imsatirac.com battle on the bricks jake that's great what exactly does that mean well let me tell you uh imsa of course being the top sports car series in north america And when you're talking about sports cars, you're talking about different classes of cars all racing on the track at the same time on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The Battle on the Bricks is going to be taking place this weekend with the championship round on Sunday. And we've got tickets not for one, but for two of you that we will give away coming up. Sam Fritz, you would like this to be caller number what? Let's go. Well, do you want me to do two callers since we're giving away two pairs? We're doing two of them. Yep. All right. I would say caller number four would be my first choice. Okay. And then, do I get to pick the second as well, yes, or am I it, taking yes. too much ground here? No, go ahead. Uh, caller number seven for the next one. Okay, despite the fact that you're already trying to steal the intellectual property of the querying company <laughs> and take it as your own, we will go with that four and seven. Callers number four and seven, you are on your way to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Of course, tickets are available for the IMSA event at IndianapolisMotorSpeedway.com. IMS.com works just fine if you do that, by the way. The IMSATireRack.com, Battle on the Bricks. Tickets up next, uh, right now, I guess I should say. Four callers, four and six at 239 107